My son is six years sober and he's, a, he's 24 years old. And one of the things that people don't have when they walk into these meetings is any hope. I had no hope because it doesn't seem like a solvable problem, but it is a solvable problem. And the way you solve it is with people that know what they're doing, who are professionals, and they will slowly create a process that'll help you do a better job in the home and it'll help your child get the help that they need. Hello and welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle, and today we're talking about the disease of substance use disorder. Approximately 93,000 drug overdoses took place in 2020. That's the highest number ever in a single year, and more than three quarters, the CDC reports, were attributed to opioids. So many suffer in silence. Our two guests today are working hard to reach and connect these individuals with life-saving resources. We have Dr. Sandeep Kapoor. He is the Assistant Vice President of Addiction Services for Northwell's Emergency Medicine Services, as well as Director of ESPERT. That's Northwell's Screening, Brief Intervention, and Referral to Treatment Program. Stephen D'Antonio is the Executive Vice President of Shatterproof, a national nonprofit organization dedicated to ending the addiction crisis. He has also helped create the podcast series, My Child and Addiction. And when we talk about addiction, the language we use is so important. Dr. Kapoor, tell us a little bit about that. It's a great question, Robin. Thank you very much for having us. Um, you know, I think it's really important that we do have dialogue and conversations, but we have to be very careful in the words that we choose. Uh, words matter. Uh, words perpetuate stigma. Uh, words can cut extremely deep. Um, so one of the things that we suggest for our healthcare professionals is really to reflect upon the language around substance use disorder. Um, framing it as abuse instantly gives a negative connotation as if somebody is doing something wrong uh, or someone is deciding to do something wrong as opposed to really looking at it as a healthcare issue. Um, you know, when we talk about someone dealing with a substance use disorder, it's more person-centric. We're talking about uh, a chronic illness that someone is suffering through or dealing with, as opposed to when we flag and label and, and stereotype people by calling them addicts or alcoholics. Yeah, I would agree. <clears throat> I think that was perfect, actually, um, you know, to get an understanding of what the issue is. The other thing that I would say as a layperson is that people who are in the medical community are looked up to by everyone else. And so if we're going to change the stigma, if we're going to change the language, I think that the most important people really are the medical professionals and the people who are actually treating addiction. And, you know, it's very common language to use um, in uh, the treatment world to say addict, to say, you know, dirty tox screen and all of these things that are sort of negative connotations as opposed to person first language um, and, you know, really a much more positive approach. And so if we can change that, we'll change a lot. Yeah. Stephen, you have a, a podcast. Tell us a little bit about your podcast and how it got started. Sure. So it's called My Child and Addiction. The first name that we had was My Child is an Addict. We changed it because it was the wrong language. But the way it worked was uh, I had um, been in a, um, a parent group that was run by professionals, which I think are incredible resources for people to learn, to get support, and to really get their arms around a problem of a family member. And we were just sitting in a meeting one day, and one of the fathers jumped up and said, I need to do something. 
And then I blurted out, I need to do something. And then the third father said, I need to do something. It was kind of odd because a lot of these meetings are way more women than men. But three guys got together and we brainstormed and we said, you know what? What we're going to do is we're going to recreate this meeting. We're going to get world-class clinicians to come and work with us. And then we're going to take experienced parents, put them together, and then talk about the topics that come up that are really important when you're dealing with this problem as a family member. And that's what we've done. We've created 38 uh, podcast, 38 hours of content. And, you know, it's been a fantastic experience. Congratulations on that. And thank you for doing that because we know how much family plays a role in someone's journey uh, towards well-being and recovery. And by you creating such a podcast or such a forum uh, with open dialogue and re- re- revisiting your own experiences in itself can can only benefit others, right? Hearing about this from others that have been successful or that are still struggling will hopefully empower people to to come forward, to seek their own um, opportunities for support and care and treatment. Well, I was looking for a place to learn. And what I found was that, first of all, the clinicians are unbelievably knowledgeable. But when you have them and you're working one-on-one, it's one thing. But when you're in a room and there's seven or eight or nine other people and the themes keep coming up, the same themes over and over again, and some of these people have dealt with the problems and they have information and experience to share with you, that moves the learning curve up. You know, it, it allows you to learn much more quickly. And that's what I was looking for. And I think that venue, that uh, medium is incredible for learning how to deal with this problem. And it, it is a vexing problem for sure for parents and, and loved ones. Just one in 10 people get the care they need. What are the roadblocks? How do we change that? What is Northwell doing? Yeah. So currently, if you look at the data, only one in 10 people that actually need treatment for substance use disorder receive it. And the majority of people that do don't stem from healthcare. Uh, it's around 7% of referrals to specialty care actually come from healthcare. And I want everyone to think about this for a second. The number one referral to specialty care is the criminal justice system. So in itself, we've criminalized the process to seek care as opposed to turning to the average emergency department or average primary care practice. Um, That to us is a a marker that we are working towards changing, Uh, educating our frontline team members, regardless if they're in the addiction treatment world or in the emergency medicine, obstetrics, you name the discipline, that there's some shared understanding and motivation that we can be part of someone's process towards well-being and recovery. Right, exactly. Just coming off of that, it's an illness, just like anything else, just like cancer, just like diabetes, just like anything else. It's an illness, and it needs to be treated. You know, I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Steve. No, I was going to say that's that's exactly right, and what you're doing is fantastic, but I think there are other elements. You know, coming from the lay perspective, um, people are ashamed. They don't want to share it with anybody. And when they do, they get really negative feedback. Oh, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, you need to have a hard line. You need to do this. You need to do that. And so the feedback mechanism is terrible. The other thing is that people don't actually know that there's a problem. 
person's acting up or, you know, they're just they're partying too hard or whatever it is. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think the, the data shows that 40 percent of people who have a substance use disorder don't know that they have a substance use disorder. And there are simple tools out there. So um, I did a I spent a year doing a fellowship. And one of the things I came across is something you know all about, um, Sandeep, and that is DSM-5. Mm-hmm. Well, DSM-5 is the American Psychiatric Association gold standard diagnostic for addiction. It is 10, oh, sorry, 11 yes or no questions that a sixth grader could read that tells you whether there's no problem, small problem, medium problem, or a big problem. I think if, if the country, if people spent one minute and looked at that 11 questions, we would have a lot more people going into treatment and really understanding that there was a problem that had to be dealt with rather than just wondering and trying to hide the problem. And what Steve's talking about, this is not something that's hidden, but it's not part of the current narrative, right? And I want everyone to think about when we're at our dinner tables at home, we tend to hide this conversation in particular under the table. We don't talk openly about addiction or, or behavioral health issues in our families. Um, maybe that's changing now, and it, rightfully so, the trend is changing. But traditionally, we're socially primed not to look at this as a healthcare issue. We're, so, we're socially primed to look at this as a moral failing, that someone made the wrong choices or someone hung out with the wrong people. The reality is, Rob, it is a chronic illness, and it's it, it's it's an opportunity. I don't want to frame it as a negative, but when we frame it as a chronic illness, it's a call to action for all of healthcare to figure out what to do about it and to and to do something in a harmonized fashion. Yeah, I think education is so important. I think dialogue is so important, and I think you know Steve's podcast is amazing, and that people should listen to it because they can hear real life stories. But parents play a big role. And parents need to also be aware and and parents may have stigma and parents may feel ashamed. What do parents need to do? Well, it's complicated. So, you know, if you have a this disease manifests when um, kids are teenagers. So 96% of substance use disorder begins in adolescence. And so there's a lot of other things going on that makes it very difficult to figure out, hey, this is an addiction problem. But if it is, if you you use DSM-5 and you figure out, um, or you talk to a professional um, and you figure out that it is an addiction, really there are four things that you can do as a parent. First one is to get educated, and, you know, there, there are different ways to get educated. We talked about the podcast. Um, you know, there's things you can find on the Internet. Um, the other thing is to get professional help, and it's probably the biggest recommendation because the professionals know what the tricks are, um, what the pitfalls are, and how to navigate this, this problem, this healthcare problem. Um, the third thing is to get support. And, you know, this is one of those things that it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Um, And it is very vexing to deal with, you know, someone who has a behavioral health issue. And then the final thing is to take care of yourself because, again, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And this problem, um, it's you're completely scared. Uh, you think really bad things are going to happen to your child. Um, it's it's an emotional roller coaster, and you really need to stay strong so that you can be there for your child and help them as much as you can. So those are the four things I think you can do. Um, uh, the podcast actually does three of them. It helps you get educated. It ties you into professionals um, who know what they're doing, and it gives you support. I think all four steps that Stephen mentioned are absolutely legitimate and needed. But it's going to be individualized. And the first 
step to even get people to those four is understand that you're not alone and you need to take care of yourself. It's a skill to take. It's a skill that you need to learn to take care of yourself. And that's where I think the professional support and the the groups uh, with other family members, you're building your own skill set to maintain and to sustain so you could be there for your child or your, your family member. Yeah. And taking care of yourself seems odd because your your kid you know, has an issue and it's a very severe health care issue that can have dire consequences. But the truth of the matter is, if you're a mess, too. You can't really be of much help. The one thing I will say is, so I'm also a volunteer at Garden City Community Treatment Center. Um, I work with the social workers. They have a parent group meeting. The number one thing that people say after two or three meetings was, I'm not alone. I thought I was alone. And then the other thing I will tell you is after about four or five or maybe six weeks, which is just a one-hour session each week, they all start to pick up and learn and do a lot better within the home. So that medium, that um, that group meeting, which seems odd, like I'm the last person who would have gone to a group meeting, given my background, very independent person, unbelievably helpful. So I show up and, you know, I, I let people know I was right where they were, um, hopeless, um, scared out of my mind, um, didn't know how to handle my child. And now I can say to people, yeah, my son is six years sober and he's, a, he's 24 years old and I give them hope. And so one of the things that people don't have when they walk into these meetings is any hope. I had no hope because it doesn't seem like a solvable problem, but it is a solvable problem. And the way you solve it is with people that know what they're doing, who are professionals, and they will slowly create a process that'll help you do a better job in the home and it'll help your child get the help that they need. So, Stephen, just tell us about your son and, and what he went through. Sure. So, we thought he was just like the other four siblings. So, he was experimenting with drinking in high school. It seemed like what, what a lot of kids did. I did it. Uh, but his drinking was a little bit different, and it got to be really dangerous. So, by the time he was 17, he had very severe episodes that almost killed him. And so we, we brought him to treatment. He went kicking and screaming. It was as confrontational as you could possibly imagine. The good people at Garden City uh, Treatment Center, part of Northwell, um, really worked with us and helped us be parents that really understood how to navigate this problem and to create boundaries in the household, consequences, and really get him to see the disease. The problem with this disease, as some of the great researchers have said, is not that people can't see the solution. They can't see the problem. And so he didn't see the problem. And he certainly didn't see a lifetime at 17 years old of never drinking again. That was not something that he could accept, and it really took a year to get to the point where he wanted more help. He realized he couldn't, he couldn't solve the problem himself, and he actually asked for treatment, and he actually used the word powerless. There are no 17-year-olds on the planet that are using the word powerless you know, to describe themselves um, unless they've had an incredible education and they've gotten to the point where they figured out that this disease was stronger than them. So he then went to a 28-day um, rehab. Um, he went to a sober home for three months, never returned back to high school. Um, and he had one little lapse um, when he first went away to college. And um, since then, he has been completely dedicated to staying sober um, and to, you know, really making sure that he's healthy. 
What's great about it is he's giving back. He's now a certified peer recovery coach. He's working with youngsters, kids who are in high school, kids who are in college, and he's really trying to give back and be part of the solution. Um, he's going to be six years sober tomorrow, and I view him as our family miracle. I could not be more proud of him. That's awesome. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And I, one of the reasons why I'm here is because I owe Garden City Treatment Center and Northwell because you guys have amazing counselors and fantastic treatment um, resources. And so that's why I volunteer. And I just can't say enough about Northwell. Stephen, you went from helping your son to helping others. Why was that so important to you? It actually is a gift. So it sounds weird, but if you're in the recovery community, they talk about it all the time. Being able to help somebody else is actually a gift to me. So um, that's the way you know we look at it, is that it's an opportunity. Uh, we were there. We know how dark it was. And so being able to have someone either get out of that darkness or to, to uh, avoid the darkness is a really big deal. It brings, me, brings up one other thing, and that, I think, is something that is totally undersold in the world that we live in. And that is what it's like to be a sober individual. So I've gone to a bunch of open AA meetings where there are anniversary meetings and people talk about their lives and they talk about how dark and negative and just just horrific their lives were when they were suffering from this disease. And then flash forward a year of sobriety, two years of sobriety, three years of sobriety, and they just can't believe it. They are so happy. They're so productive. They're so connected. They're so empathetic. It is one of the most beautiful communities in the world. And this is the thing we're fighting. This is what we're fighting for because the other side of addiction is sobriety, and it is a beautiful place to be. That's awesome. Does Northville work with other health systems, too, to try and get them also on board to, to, to make this more of, you know, take away the stigma and, and, and some of the misconceptions? Yeah, so I, I would frame it the same way. It's an opportunity. It's a privilege. You know, it's a gift to be able to speak about what we do here at Northwell. I, I do think that we are uh, in a space which is uh, uh, hungry for and needing innovation. Um, the reality is with Espert, um, what we do is is not very innovative. It's common sense. We're universally screening individuals to understand their relationship with substance use, with alcohol and drugs. And at that point, trying to explore what we can do to partner with them. And I want to just take and reflect upon uh, Steve's words about that darkness and that feeling of hopelessness. If any healthcare professional had the privilege of sitting next to you right now hearing that, I think we could identify very quickly that that's an opportunity for us to serve as a conduit of hope. Not necessarily have all the answers, not necessarily tell you exactly what you need to do, but at least be present to hear, to acknowledge, and to respect where you're at so that we can better understand what we can do in partnership with you. And the one thing that uh, I've personally had a privilege to do in my position and our team has had the privilege to do is bring that message to 77,000 individuals that are healthcare professionals here. Regardless if you're clinical or non-clinical, we all have tremendous power in this equation to change the narrative, to create an environment where when individuals are feeling hopeless, that we're there to provide some element of hope, to understand that sobriety and recovery is achievable, um, and to really 
protect and support people that are in recovery. Uh, previously, we were just talking about like all these ads that we see when we're watching a ball game with our kids. Everything is either about alcohol, uh, hard liquor or beer. And that in itself infuses this culture that drinking is okay. But the reality is if someone is in recovery, we need to have supports for them so that we're not throwing these triggers at them. We're not keep, uh, we're not blanketing every commercial with this message that, oh, let's go out and have a drink together. We need to be more compassionate and we need to understand. We need to limit. We need to better appreciate that not everyone um, has the same experience. So I think, again, just to kind of sum it up, every healthcare professional to take should listen to what Steve just said and look at any person we're privileged to care for. And if they're feeling hopeless, what can we do to provide at least some element of hope? Well, that concludes part one of this very personal conversation with Dr. Sandeep Kapoor and Stephen D'Antonio on substance use disorder. Make sure to tune into part two available now on all podcast platforms. I'm Rob Hoyle. Have a great day.